2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Um, real quick, before we get into this, Kelly pointed out that uh, in her special thanks here, I made it appear that pastors have wives, as in more than one. We do not, we do not agree to that. Um, so I do have a confession. Uh, I, I, I was an English major in college. Um, but I was much more interested in the reading part of that than the writing part of that, and I made a C in gra applied grammar. So, yeah, not great at it, don't, don't claim to be. But, yeah, so just one wife for all pastors everywhere. Uh, only one for me, thanks. Um, but, yeah, so. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to be finishing up uh, this second letter uh, to the Thessalonians this morning. We're going to see here, to close the epistle out, uh, Paul has spent a lot of time talking about end times things. This was something that was very important to the Thessalonians. They asked a lot of questions about it, so we've seen that in several of the uh, issues that Paul has addressed, especially in the second letter. Um, but to close things out today, Paul is going to request prayer uh, for his, he and his team as they're continuing to proclaim the gospel, they're going out into hostile areas. And uh, so he's asking the Thessalonian church to pray for him. And he's also asking, uh, he's going to readdress an issue of idleness that he addressed very briefly in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, he brought it up and he's going to address that again because you've got to remember, these letters were probably only two or three months apart. And so this is something that um, has remained as an issue there. So apparently there was some communication back because remember he sent Timothy to speak to them and Timothy came back with a report. And when he came back, apparently laziness uh, was still an issue that was um, either addressed and ignored or it was addressed well and uh, Paul and the people just haven't listened. And so Paul is going to double down on this rebuke of that behavior and we're going to see that he's going to get rather stern with these people who call themselves Christians, right? But they're not doing work that is needed to provide for themselves. And so we're going to pray and then we're going to dive into God's word. So let's pray together. Father, we're grateful that you have spoken to us. We're grateful that your word speaks truth to us and it uh, helps us to understand who you are and what you expect from our lives. And I pray that we would be people who have a desire to bring you honor and glory by doing what you tell us to do. And so, Lord, I pray that as we hear this um, uh, rebuke from Paul uh, to the church in Thessalonica, that we would be uh, mindful of that, that we would be people who strive to work to bring you honor and glory. And I pray that this uh, does that this morning for you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. All right, so 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to read all 18 verses to start with. It says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. 
but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him as they may, uh, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So just to start at the end, instead of at the beginning of that, I just want to address this issue that Paul says here in verse 17, where he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. We need to remember that someone had written a false letter to the church in Thessalonica in Paul's name. And so he's just trying to address here by saying that. I wrote it with my own hand. This is the way that I write because if you get another letter that does not conform to what I have taught you in the past, then you need to compare it to this one because this is how I write. All right, so that's all he's saying there. Um, that's an odd way to sign, sign a letter, and I just wanted to address that before we got into all this other stuff here. Uh, chapter 3, though, starts with uh, evidence for Paul's passion for advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't think if anybody reads Paul, there can be any doubt that he loves this work that he's doing and sees the value of it. Uh, but here, Paul asks uh, for prayers from the church in Thessalonica that the gospel would speed ahead and would be honored. And so for the gospel to speed ahead and be honored, two things have to happen. First of all, we have to have a proclamation of the good news. Somebody has to be willing to take the good news into difficult places. Someone has to be willing to put themselves out there to people who may be hostile to hearing the word of God. And Paul and his team, we have seen, they are absolutely willing to go into these difficult places so that they can uh, preach and teach the Word of God. Uh, but in this request for prayer, we see that Paul has no confidence in himself for this process. Right? In this request for prayer, we are seeing that he is completely and totally dependent on God for everything that he does in his life and ministry. He knows it's not about him. It's, it's not about his ability to teach. It's not about his ability to take a punch. Right? We know that he's a tough dude. But none of that matters if God has not prepared the way, if God has not prepared hearts to hear it. Right? If God doesn't prepare the way, then the wicked men, the people that are opposed to the gospel, uh, they will find a way to stamp out the truth. If God does not protect the people that are professing the good news of the gospel, wicked people will find a way to stamp out the truth. And if God doesn't prepare the hearts of the people that the gospel is being proclaimed to, then the truth is not going to be heard by those who are, here, are supposed to be hearing it. Right? For the gospel to advance... God must remove the obstacles that Satan and sinful people are going to inevitably throw in the way. The world is hostile to the truth. 
some of those obstacles are simply part of our default nature as sinful people, right? Right? Dead hearts, that's what I mentioned last week, dead hearts don't care about the truth of the gospel. Right? Dead hearts have no ability to hear it, they have no ability to understand it, and it does not matter to those who have not come awake in the Spirit. Deaf ears are not able to hear the truth. It sounds confusing. It sounds like ridiculousness. It sounds like fairy tales. Blind eyes, they cannot see the reality of sin. Right? If you ask most people who are far from God, are you a good person? Almost everyone will say yes. Right? But then if you start running through the list of the Ten Commandments, Right? Let's just take the first four off because they're not interested in honoring and glorifying God anyway. But let's just say, do you always honor your father and mother? Well, no, not always, right? We've all been teenagers before. Yes, preteens. It keeps getting earlier and earlier, it seems, right? But no, we don't always honor our mother and father. Have you ever told a lie before? Well, yes, everyone has told a lie. Well, that makes you a liar. Well, no. Yes, it does. If you lie, you are a liar. Right? Have you ever coveted someone else's stuff? Have you ever wished that you had something that they have? Yes, we all have. Right? So that makes us jealous. Right? Have you ever had a lustful thought about someone who wasn't your spouse? Then the Bible says that that makes you an adulterer. Right? Have you ever been have you ever committed murder? Most people would say no. But Jesus says in the scriptures that if you have even had anger in your heart towards someone, you have already killed them. And so when we start going through this list and people, you, you start presenting that to people and you're like, so are you still a good person? We've already established that you dishonor your parents, you're a liar, you covet, you're a murderer, you're an adulterer. I mean, are you still good? Most people, yeah, I still think I'm fine. Right? We don't have the ability to see the truth if our hearts are blinded to that by our sin nature. Right? We can't see God's righteousness. And all we think about when we think about God apart from him, apart from seeing the truth of the gospel, is that God is this great grandfather figure that's just patting you on the head and he's just glad you called him. Right? So glad to see you. Here's you know, a, a Werther's original. So glad that you're here. Go and do whatever you want. Papa, we, we broke the lamp. Well, that's no big deal. I don't care as long as you're here and happy. That's all that, all that matters. Right? That's what we think about when we don't have the right understanding of who God is. Right? God is holy, He is righteous, He is just, and He does not tolerate sin. Right? Just because you're not, you don't always lie, if you lie at all, you have separated yourself from a holy and righteous God. Just because you don't always lust after someone that's not your spouse, it means that you have separated yourself from a holy and righteous God. When you covet, you have separated yourself from a holy and righteous God. And we, we think of these things as just a little sin. But when you have a completely holy and righteous God, just a little sin is enough to separate you from that God forever. And we cannot see that in our own sin nature. So God has to go before the gospel. He has to open our eyes to the truth. He has to open our ears to the truth. He has to awaken our hearts to be able to accept the truth. And Paul here is asking that God would do this. He's asking that the Thessalonians would pray that God would do this. He is completely dependent on God for this. Right? It doesn't matter how well he uh, professes the truth. 
doesn't matter if he doesn't stammer or say, like I do, say right after almost every sentence. It doesn't matter how well he puts that out there. Because if their hearts aren't prepared by the Holy Spirit, it's going to fall on deaf ears, blind eyes, and a dead heart. And so Paul knows that he needs this, and he is uh, asking them to profess that. And then after that, Paul encourages the Thessalonian church by reminding them of God's faithfulness in the midst of their struggles. These letters fall on a time where the Thessalonian church are facing a ton of persecution from both the Jews and the Gentiles in their city. And they're constantly being attacked in some way, shape, or form. And Paul tells them, God, he will establish you and he will guard you against the evil one. He is faithful. So just because you are undergoing these attacks, Paul wants them to understand you have not been forgotten. God's hand has not been shortened. He is not incapable of removing you from these things, but he is building you up. He's giving you uh, endurance by enduring all of these things. And so he says he is establishing you. You are well rooted into the family of God, into the kingdom of God, and nothing is going to remove you from his hand. We talked about that from uh, Romans chapter 8 a couple of weeks ago. And he's, you're being guarded, even though that you've got some things that are coming against you, uh, you're not getting the full brunt of what Satan would like to do to you. Right? You are not being allowed to be attacked any more than what God says is permissible. And so he wants to root them in that. And he also praises them for their diligence in, being, in doing what they have been taught. Right? So when, God, when Paul was there, he didn't spend a great deal of time in Thessalonica. Because remember, he got run, run out of town very quickly. About three weeks is how much time that we see in the book of Acts, how much time he spent there. But in that time, he put in a lot of effort and taught them everything that they needed to know about how to bring honor and glory to God. And he's saying, you are working diligently. We, we saw, especially in the first letter, that he loves this church. He's got nothing but praise for this church. And he is so proud of them because they are doing what they are they're doing in spite of the fact that Satan and evil men are coming at them. Right? They're being diligent in all that they are supposed to be doing and all that he has taught them to do. But there are a few who aren't doing all that they're supposed to be doing, right? Every church, we have sinful people in here still, right? Just because our hearts have been changed by the gospel doesn't mean that we always live the way that we're supposed to live. And so the last thing that Paul addresses in his letters to the Thessalonian church is this issue of laziness that once again came up in the first letter. Uh, we see that apparently the issue has not been completely addressed. I want to take one more look at it. Uh, so that's fresh on your mind. We're going to look at verses 16 to, through 15 once again. So look at that. Follow along with me as I read it. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. 
Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So here we see that these people, he's not saying that they're not believers. All right? he's, he's saying that these are people who don't fully understand the uh, God-ordained quality of work that they're supposed to be following. And you need to ramp up your rebuke against them. All right? When we love people, we need to make sure that they are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right? So when we discipline our children, for example, we're not doing that because we don't love them. We're doing it because we do love them. Right? And in the same way, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are supposed to be involved in each other's lives in such a way that we know what you're, what's going on in your life. We know if you're working. Right? We know if you are struggling at work. We know if you are, are doing well and getting accommodations. We know what's going on in your life because we are part of a family. Right? And if you are not doing what God has called you to do, and it doesn't have to just mean in how you're working, but if there are other ways that you're beginning to slip off the righteous path that God would have you to walk, then if we love you, we are going to speak against that in your life. Right? And if you are a follower of God, if you want to bring honor and glory to Christ in all that you think, say, and do, then when those rebukes come, the first thought in your mind shouldn't immediately be to reject that rebuke. Right? It might not be completely accurate, but even if it's not, we need to take that rebuke in and see if there's any truth in it. And if there's any truth in it, we need to be people who desire to honor God as much as we can. And so we would try to push out, weed out, whatever that sin issue is in our life. Well, these people, they have, they, they're so wrapped up in this idea of Jesus coming back quickly that they've decided, I don't need to work, right? I don't need to cultivate this field. I'm not going to be here next year to harvest it, right? Jesus is going to come back soon. I don't need to work to provide for my family. Jesus is going to come back soon. And in the process of this, these idle people have become a burden on those in the church. Now, as followers of Christ, we are supposed to bear one another's burdens. That is one, one of the one another's, the 59 one another's that we see in the New Testament. But we are not supposed to let people in the church take advantage of us. right? Because we're not doing them any favors by allowing that. So if there's someone who is perfectly capable of working and they refuse to work, Paul says here that we should not associate with these people. We should pull ourselves back away from them. That doesn't mean that we don't ever talk to them, but we're not supposed to open ourselves up to that manipulation. Oh man, I can't eat. don't have anything to eat today. Well, did you work this week? Well, no. Well, then I guess you should find a job, right? That, I mean, that sounds harsh, and it seems weird when, when, when Christians have that mindset because they're like, that's not like Jesus. That's not like Jesus. That's not true, right? It, when it comes to people who are outside of the church, I, I tell people all the time, if you've got somebody that comes up to you and says, hey, I'm, I'm, I need some money, and, you're like, and you have that money and you're willing to give that money, then by all means, give them the money. They're like, you're like, well, they're just going to buy drugs with it or whatever. They're just going to buy alcohol. That's between them and God. Right? If you feel led to offer them that money, you do that. But when it comes to people inside the church, 
they know how they're supposed to act. Paul says, hey, I taught you what it means to be someone who is a hard worker. He said, I, I, when we look at work in the Old Testament, we see in the very first two chapters of Genesis, we see that God gave Adam and Eve the, the declaration, you are to subdue the earth. You are to fight with it and you are to subdue it. That is work. So it's not like work suddenly showed up when sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3. No, we were supposed to work. We were supposed to work hard from the beginning. And this is going to be what Paul is teaching them. Right? We, we show God honor in how we work. When we put in the time that we're supposed to put in, when we're not goofing off at work, taking money from our boss without doing the things that he, is, is paying, he or she is paying us to do. Right? When we're not wasting time, when we're uh, bettering the company that we work for, like this is all bringing honor and glory to God, and this is how we're supposed to work. We're supposed to work as though we're not being paid by this person, but we're being paid by God. We're supposed to honor Him in how we work. And Paul would have taught them all of this. Not only that, Paul says, you saw how we acted among you. All right, so Paul and his entire ministry team, when they were in Thessalonica, they did not accept gifts from the Thessalonians. He says, we had the right to accept this from you. Right? It's not wrong to pay your pastors. Right? It's not wrong to, to pay those who are helping you out in ministry. But he's saying to set the example for you specifically. We didn't take anything from you. We paid for the food that we ate. We didn't accept anything that we didn't work for. And in the process of that, we also worked night and day. So the, what probably happened, Paul being a tent maker, he probably made tents during the day and he spent time with the Thessalonians at night. So he would work during the day and then he would teach them at night. So he's working, he's got two jobs here, right? And he's pouring himself out for these people because he loves them. And he's saying, we did that as an example for you. So you have the teachings of the scriptures. You have the example that we have set for you. And you are completely disregarding both of those with your idleness. And he says, if you are not willing to work, then the church should pull away from those people. And that is an act of rebuke. But again, he says, they're not to be regarded as an enemy. They're to be warned as a brother. Right? So your willingness to step into that part of their life these people that are refusing to work, you step into that, you say, this is not how it should be. We have the scriptures. We have Paul's uh, example that he has set. You need to get a job. And I love you enough not to give you food to eat until you do. And this is what Paul is telling them. And then he also, in verse 13, he says, do not weary in doing good. You know, it, it's, it's very tempting for us if we can find someone that will take care of us. It's very tempting for us to do that, right? That person's not working, and that person over there is feeding them. And here I am, busting hump, trying to get all of this stuff taken care of. I'm trying to take care of my family. I'm trying to take care of that guy at the same time. Why should I work this hard if someone's just going to take care of me, and then they stop working as well? But the problem is, if you keep doing that, if nobody works, who makes the money? Eventually, it always works out this way, because this is our human nature, right? We're only going to work according to the level of what we receive from that work. And if this person is receiving more than we are, when we're 
breaking our backs trying to do our job, and that person is being taken care of by someone else. We will go down to that level before that person comes up to our level. It always happens that way. But that's one of the reasons why socialist societies never work. Right? Nobody is going to, it's just not in our nature to work as hard as we can so that we can give half of what we've worked for to this person who hasn't worked at all. It's just not in our nature. But he says, do not weary in doing good. Like, guys, I know it's tempting for you not to work. Nobody wants to work. Nobody wants to work. And it's tempting to look at that and say, that's a better life. It's a better life if someone else takes care of me. But Paul says, don't weary in doing what is right. Right? There, there may be some benefits to that in this life, but it's not going to carry over into the next. We are to be hard, diligent workers. There should be no one at our jobs that work harder than someone who professes the name of Jesus. We should stand out in our work ethic. We should stand out in our integrity. We should stand out in our love for the people that we work with. Right? People should be able to look at us and see Christ wherever we work. It should be a light shining in the darkness wherever we are. Do not weary in doing good. And if we do begin to, do, to weary in that, then we should expect a rebuke. The people of this church should love us well enough to say, hey, I've noticed you're not working as hard as you could. And you've become a burden on the other people in this church. And so someone should love us well enough to push us in that direction. So here, Paul wants us, as our application, uh, to be people of prayer. Uh, we see that at the beginning. This is one of the reasons why I pushed so hard last week for us to come together as the church so that we could pray for the well-being of the church. We must be people of prayer. Like, we often act as though prayer is the last line of work that we could possibly do. Like I'll, if, if I can't find a job, for example, if we're in one of these situations, I can't find a job, then I'm, you know, I'm going to throw my stuff out there on Indeed and LinkedIn and all of this. And, you know, I'm going to go hand out resumes to people. And then, you know, if that doesn't pan out, I'll pray about it. That's not how we're supposed to be. Prayer is the work of the church. Right? That is what we are supposed to be about. First and foremost, before we do anything else, we should be praying about it. And then we should supplement that prayer with the work that we do, right? It's okay to put the stuff out there on LinkedIn. It's okay, right? Like one of the, the jokes that we used to hear in seminary all the time is like, you, you can't just pray that God will bring you a wife, right? You actually have to go where women are, you know? Like it's not like they're just going to fall out of the sky. So you have to actually put in some work. You have to do, so it's not just about prayer, but we should stop acting as though like prayer is the redheaded stepchild of, of the dis disciplines that we're supposed to do. It should be one of the first things that we do every single day. It should be one of the last things that we do every single day. We should be praying for you know, the glory of God to be made manifest in this world. We should be praying for the glory of the kingdom. We, we should be praying for the benefit of this church. We should be praying for the people in it. We should be praying for the lost in our lives. We should be praying for it all. I mean, if the gospel is going to go forth from this place, if it is going to push back the darkness in our community, in our lives, if it's going to have any kind of impact or effect, we are going to have to be praying about it. 
And again, I'm going to challenge you again. The least attended service in this church is our monthly prayer meeting. It used to be a weekly prayer meeting, and it dissolved to the point where we, it didn't make sense to have it anymore. And so we dropped it down to a monthly prayer meeting. We need you to come and pray with the church. If you can be here, you should be here. That is my loving rebuke to you if you don't come to that. All right? I do love you enough to rebuke. We need you to pray as the church. So, we must be people of prayer. Secondly, we must set an example for the world in the way that we work. Now, we're not to be workaholics. That's not what we're called to do. Right? If we are neglecting our work for the church, if we're neglecting our family because of how hard we're working, then that, that's not setting the example that God wants us to set. Right? We should work to have what we need, and then beyond that, we should be generous with the rest of it, but we should set an example when we, while we're working, we need to be the best at what we do. And there's nothing in here that's talking about not being, you know, it's not saying you shouldn't take promotions. It's not saying that you shouldn't take a higher salary if that's being offered to you. You know, if you've, if God has blessed you with the ability to rise up in your company, rise up in your company, but you should be the shining light as you go, right? The higher you go, the brighter Christ should shine. Right, because you're just higher up in the company and more people can see it. But we should be an example for how people should work. Right? What does the Bible say about work? Well, when we look at Ed, we see this is how the Bible says that we should work. When we look at Dawn, the Bible says this is how we should work. When we look at Scott, this is how the Bible says that we should work. It should be the example in those places. And lastly, we must rebuke those who refuse to live the way that Christ taught us to live. It is not a loving thing for us to see people going off on their sinful tangents and allow them to go. That's not love. It's not love for us to say, you know, I just don't want to get into that. That could cause uh, some harsh feelings. That could cause a little bit of uh, upheaval in the church. And I think it's just better if we just don't, if we don't do that. Right? That's being a coward. That is being afraid to step into hard things. And for us to hide behind the idea of not wanting to create uh, disunity or you know, not wanting to have bad thoughts about us, that's fear. That's fear of man, and it's nothing else. When we see people that are going off on their own way, it is our responsibility in Christ to speak into that, to speak truth to that, and to beg them to come back. Right? That's the first step in church discipline. We always act as though church discipline is something horrible, and it's not. If we do it in the right way, most people will turn and come back just based on the fact that we have loved them enough to speak into their life. But if they refuse to turn, if they refuse to stop going in this sinful path, they're more and more exposing themselves as to not be a believer in Christ. If we're a believer in Christ, these rebukes from the church and the Holy Spirit should be enough to turn us away from those things, right? Because we want to honor God. If we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we want to bring him honor and glory. But if we constantly see people going this on their own way and they're not, they refuse to turn, then that's the reason why church discipline is necessary. We need to say to people, hey, you're going this path. I don't see Christ in you. 
And if I don't see Christ in you, then we can no longer fellowship with you as a brother or sister in Christ. That is not a harsh thing. That is a loving thing. It's someone coming up enough to say, I don't think you love Jesus. So we need to be willing to do that. Now, Paul here, he's saying, treat these people as brothers. They're not showing us an inherently sinful pursuit that is you know, of Satan. He's saying they're just not seeing the, the work ethic that they need to have correctly and they need to be rebuked. They need to be corrected. And we need to be willing to do that as well. So how are you doing in your prayer? How are you doing at your work? And are you willing to rebuke those who you call brothers and sisters in Christ in this church if you see them going their own way? Something to think about as we leave. Let's pray together. Father, it is my desire to see you honored in everything that we do here at this church. And it's important that you remind us that it's not just about what we do here that matters in our lives. It's also about what we do in the community, what people see as we profess to be your followers. We need to be lights shining in the darkness. And so I pray that we would be people that bring you honor and glory in how we work. And I pray that we would be people who bring you honor and glory in our efforts in prayer for this church and for the kingdom overall. And I pray that the gospel would go forth, that you would prepare hearts uh, even now as we prepare to leave this place. pray that we would see opportunities to share your beautiful word, your beautiful gospel, and that people's lives would change because of it. I ask all this in your son's most precious name. Amen.